Welcome to the Million Vegan Grandmothers podcast. And today I have the honor of interviewing Bobby Sud. Thank you, Bob. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, Bobby does so much great work for our plant-based and vegan movements. And he is in LA right now with Animal Save Movement. He is a cinematographer, has worked with Sean Monson for from Earthlings for seven years and heads up many other projects. So this is the life force, the energetics that we really want to bring to the world. People like Bobby and this tireless energy to do what's right and do what's kind and do what's compassionate and heal human earth and animals into complete liberation. That's what heal actually should mean, not just for humans. So thank you, Bobby. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This is great. Well, let's dive right in. Tell me a little bit about some of the projects you're working on that you're super excited about and some of the work you've done in the past and, and, and what, you feel that impact has had on the world? Yeah. Um, I've, like you said, I've worked with Sean Monson for seven years now, and we're, I'm currently helping him shoot two different projects right now that I can't talk about yet. Uh, I shot all the animal footage for Moby's film, uh, punk rock vegan movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've worked with Generation Vegan uh, on a few projects and directed a, a video series with them. Um, and right now I'm working with, uh, we animals media, which was started by Joanne MacArthur and, uh, we're an animal photojournalism group. And I'm currently working on publishing a, a book of photography that, uh, I've, photos I've documented over the last six years of animals in transport from farms to slaughterhouses. Mm. Yeah. Be a very impactful book. Tell me what happens for you in those moments when you're taking those photos. What is, what is it like to be Bobby in those moments? Um, there's nothing harder. There's nothing more difficult that I've experienced than say being on the kill floor of a slaughterhouse, uh, looking through a lens uh, at an animal who's about to die. Um, and then making it aesthetically pleasing um, because I know that that's going to have the biggest impact, you know, even though, I, even if I were physically able to, uh, you know, run over there and stop them from killing the animal, it would only be for a moment. You know, this is a slaughterhouse. Uh, I'm not going to run away with a cow. Um, so those are, those are difficult moments, but you just, I remember the, 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 the first time that I, I ever went, inside a slaughterhouse was with Sean Monson. And this is like my very first day ever documenting any animal, uh, any, any animal rights or animal cruelty things ever. And uh, Sean just stopped me right before we went in and he's like, hey, listen, poker face, poker face, poker face. You know, like, so I, I was fortunate to have someone like Sean Monson as a mentor in, in doing things like that. Um, it's not as easy as Sean makes it out to be. Sean's I think Sean is very cerebral. He's highly intelligent and he's able to intellectualize what he's seeing uh, uh, better than some people, better than myself. So, yeah. So when you say make the photos aesthetically pleasing, do you mean present them in a way that people can really see 
the beauty, the, the real life of the animal? Yeah. Um, I mean, every photo, every photographer has their own distinct style or, or image or, or something that they're trying to portray in their photos. Um, you know, I, I, I'm also talking about the, just the, the technical, like, is it, is it in focus? Is the lighting correct? You know, is, is my, you know, my f-stop do I have enough light coming to the camera? Things like that. Is my shutter speed fast enough? Um, and then to frame it in a way that conveys the message that, uh, that I think is important. So, which that, that degree of separation that's created between the camera and, and the event uh, does help a little bit, you know, uh, but. Ah, yeah. I mean, yes, yes. I can't even imagine. I mean, I can because I've been in those those places. Um, so when you take these photos, what is what is the impact that it has on the public? So we're not just talking about vegans because sometimes we get tired of of you know sharing our work with other vegans who are already converted. But what do you yeah. think the impact is on other people? Uh, I just hope it has the same impact that I tried to try to have if I'm doing outreach on the street. Uh, I'm not trying to get anybody to be vegan because I, I think that's an unreasonable expectation. I'm just trying to get people to listen. And uh, I, I hope that that it just has that kind of impact where it's an image that people will be willing to look at because it's somehow captivating and, and honest. And uh, so that they're willing to listen to a photo that's showing the reality of our animal-based food system. Hmm. Well, you know what they say about a photo saying yeah. about words. And, and we know when we try to talk about veganism, that can get in the way, but art, I'm doing a presentation in the upcoming convergence on October 28th and 29th through climate healers. The million vegan grandmothers are, is part of the climate healers organization. And um, I'm doing the art of veganism and we have some incredible artists that are sharing through music and um, film and poetry and the written word. And, and, as a poet, I know that's one way I can convey what's deeply in my heart without it feeling judgmental to the person that's listening. I'm just saying what's in my heart. Yeah. I, I mean, one of my favorite poets is Mary Oliver, who, you know, doesn't outright say, I mean, I, I believe she was vegetarian just from what, just from her poems and how she talks about never wearing an animal's fur in some of her, in some of her poems. And, uh, but she has a way of not being so direct and in your face, but at the same way, conveying this idea of going out in nature, standing in awe of it and, and remembering how to see it, you know. It's all about remembering. I joined a group of vegan um, elders the other day in prayer, and that theme came up a lot. It's the remembering and, and they're and helping humans remember, you know, that remember that we are the species that can change this all. And that's, that's our only quote unquote dominion we have is that we are supposed to be caretakers. 
right? That is- I have to remember to be understanding. Like, I, I know that we very much want everyone to understand us, but we can't forget to be understanding ourselves. And I think that that gets in our way. Um, and we, it's like, ridicule is, there's nothing easier than that, right? I, I, it doesn't require anything. It asks nothing of you. I don't need to know anything about someone to ridicule them, but understanding and compassion for who, who someone else is, that they are a human being having a human experience and the fact that even though I'm vegan, I wasn't born vegan and I can understand where they're coming from. And as a like, for example, as a seventh generation Texan, I can understand why somebody enjoys the barbecue culture of Texas. I can, you know, I, I can't lie to myself and say, I just don't get that anymore. Of course I do, you know, and I have to be willing to understand why someone would be attracted to that. Because if I'm not, if I'm not willing to validate their experience and where they are in their lives, then they won't do the same for me. Yeah, thank you for that reminder because I also didn't grow up vegan and it was really connected to our our ceremony, our traditions, our joy and it's and it's to ask a person to switch that. It requires some understanding and and I love taking apart words and I think about understand. So standing underneath them, almost like to lift them up. But by doing that, you have to get underneath and and really get into the depth of what's going on for a person. So thank you for being that representation, like as the grandmothers are, you know, my my grandchildren aren't being raised vegan and I am not going to love them less. But it is the hottest conversation that we have. I will tell you, it's like, oh, my dad says vegans can't be strong. We said, well, let's watch some movies. And then they, it ended up the end of that week. For some reason, my my six-year-old grandson wanted me to arm wrestle with his mom. And I'm thinking, no way, because she lifts a lot of heavy weights. And I'm like, yeah, there's no way. And I she actually couldn't put me down because I could hold my core. I'm a massage therapist. I, I'm a yogi. And I'm like, wow, she couldn't arm wrestle me down. It was, it was actually quite baffling. And I don't mean that arrogantly, but it was just all these little um supports i feel that we get from the divine just being consciously awakening not that we claim to be completely awake but awakening on this journey i think we get a lot of support from something much greater and you're right i understand my daughter i understand the dilemma she's in having a husband that's a heavy meat eater even though she doesn't eat meat very often at all or flesh food and she feels it would alienate her away from everyone except me. And she already knows she has my unconditional love. So thank you. It is so important for vegans to understand, to really deeply understand. And I believe that we're in a really deep crisis on the planet. I mean, we know that. And, and in so many areas, our sacred sovereignty is being taken away, just like it has been for the animals, like Will Tuttle made that connection many years ago in the World Peace Diet. And so it's really important for us to understand people do not have a huge bandwidth to deal with a lot of loss. And for them, losing a diet that connects them with their community and their family is just too much to bear. Also, you know, psychology involved in that, you know, that we have survival instincts that this is, this is involved since the dawn of, since the moment human beings first stepped foot on this planet, this, you know, we're talking hundreds of thousands of years of evolution. Um, and part of that is safety and community is safety. And if mm -hmm. you feel 
like, you know, losing your community means you're all alone. That's a very unsafe place to be. That's a very scary thought. Right. And we have to understand the psychology involved in why somebody might struggle with making that choice. But, I, you know, to your point, you're talking about I was with Ocean Robbins. I was in a, a video series that he did. And um, this woman asked him about her daughter, who was just graduating college and and was no longer plant based and was making decisions that, you know, from whatever she read, thought were in her best interest. And how she should deal with that, being a vegan and a mother of a daughter who's no longer vegan. And what Ocean said was like so profound and it was so simple. He said, tell your daughter that I'm, I'm proud that you're making decisions as an adult that you believe are in your best interest. And I love you more than I dislike your choices. You know, and that's really, it's not that hard to understand. That's not that hard to be there. I think we're all really there, but we just fight it sometimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, are we going to love our children less because they make cho different choices? And that, that's included yeah. right across the board with everything that's coming down in our world right now. Look at how much separation has happened since COVID, um, you know, between families and communities. And so if we choose a love-based compassion and understanding and say, like Silesh says to Kamaya, whatever choices you make, Dr. Silesh Rao, he said, I will always still love you just the same. Yeah. We're never going to hate enough to create a kinder world. That that math doesn't add up. Right. And, and I get like vegan animal rights activists when, you're, when it's your first year in it. And it seems like every day you're learning about some new horrible thing you didn't know about that, that's happening to animals on the planet. You know, uh, and so you're going to be angry. I get it. That, that makes sense. That makes sense to anybody. Right. And I, I understand having this grace period of about a year. But after a year, I mean, I, I don't want to sound cruel, but in a, in, in a way you have to get over yourself. And what I mean by that is like you're angry. OK. Fine. Right. But how does your anger help? Like how does responding with anger help? You can be angry. OK. But in, in dealing with other people and in dealing with, with the problems that we have, how does anger help? It doesn't. It, it, just, it just creates a greater divide. Mm -hmm. Exactly. My partner and I have been writing a book that came to me a couple of years ago that I wanted to write. And it's called Grief Mapping. And it's mapping on a grief. And, and the analogy for me is, or the really heartfelt sense, I work with people very intimately. I'm a massage therapist. I'm a, I'm a, a life uh, coach and I, I have a background in social work and I really couldn't stay on the front lines of that any more than I could with the animals. Cause I just, I can't, I can't do certain things. We, we all can do certain things. That's not what I can do. Um, that depth of suffering. I, I need to kind of um, work on another level. But the one thing that is really um, very real for me is that people need space to change. They need enough safety. And if they can map out some of their grief and kind of move beyond what I, we kind of felt that the first five stages of Kubler-Ross or Kubler-Ross's five stages were almost like the first 
five stages of grief that you go through before we start through our five stages that my partner and I have written about. And the first one in our stage was the felt sense shock. So Kubler-Ross talks about denial, like, oh, this can't be that bad. And then the anger and then the and then the apathy or the depression and then going into acceptance. So you get to acceptance, but ours starts with the felt sense shock. It's like, oh my God, this is really going on. Yeah. And then we go into compassion and empathy for ourselves, for others, of all beings. And then we move into creative action. And, and then we have two other steps about community and, and finding different pathways to heal like you have done. But I think unless we actually feel the shock of what goes on, and then we, we have a deep empathy and compassion for ourselves, we need to move it into creative action. And that is what I did when my son died. I couldn't save him. Every time I put him on a plant-based diet and I fed him lots of green juice, his heart was failing. He would start to recover. And then he would go back to his, his friends, his, you know, go have beer and chicken wings and whatever they did. I didn't love him any less. You know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't keep him here and could, would he have completely healed? I don't know, but I do know that it doesn't, it would never have helped me to have tried to nag him home, to have tried to, I literally allowed him his own process. And as a mother, that was one of the most major um, personal healings I've ever done as a, as a human, you know, to know my son was dying and know I couldn't do anything about it. And that maybe going to a plant-based diet might've healed him. Ah, so I would love to hear a little bit more about some of your other projects, Animal Save, what it was like working and is like working with um, Sean and the, the, sounds like you two have a very creative flow together. Yeah, I, I love working with Sean. Uh, uh, we have the same sort of passion for, for storytelling and, and for film in general. And obviously Sean Monson, you know, director of Earthlings, which, uh, I think is arguably the most important animal rights film ever made. Uh, it, it was the first of its kind. And um, so working with him has been a dream and a nightmare, you know, <laughs> uh, a dream because I never, I never thought that I would be in a position to have the kind of impact that I've had um, having working with someone like Sean, having getting the access and having and being able to create work that is, profound at the same time it comes at quite a cost uh but i can tell you that right now sean is working uh sean is directing a documentary about dr michael gregor that, that i'm helping him shoot uh and it's on michael gregor's book how not to die uh which has been very cool uh, uh, you know dr gregor is hilarious and, isn't uh, he fun he's so yeah, fun he is uh, Sean just produced uh, A Day in the Life of a Farmed Animal, which was directed by uh, Alessio uh, Chiazza, which was based on the Ridley Scott concept. Ridley Scott did this film, A Day in the Life, uh, for, for human beings, where he it was people starting at like 7 a.m. to the to the end of the day all around the world, what they were doing, sort of this. And that's what Alessio took that concept and applied it to farmed animals. 
and uh, it's out right now. They released it uh, on World Day for Farmed Animals, and it's about 40 minutes, but it's really powerful. It's a non-narrative, so it's just watching from 7 a.m. what farmed animals are going through all around the world, some of them in factory farms, some of them in sanctuaries. You know, there, it doesn't show any animals being killed. Uh, I know whenever Sean's name is attached to something, everyone thinks it's going to be a horror show. Uh, but it's, it, I'm not saying there isn't some, there aren't some difficult scenes, but you will not see any animals die. And, uh, I think that, I think that's important because while earthlings was incredibly successful, I can tell you why I watched it. I was getting my degree in documentary filmmaking. Uh, and we, I heard about this film and all my, all the students with me were like, have you heard about this film earthlings? We weren't vegan. Uh, it's supposed to be like a torture fest to watch. And we watched it on morbid curiosity because we had no idea. Right. And I think that now non-vegans know, like when we talk about like films like Dominion and it's harder to get them to watch those films. So we have to take a slightly softer approach now. And I think that films like A Day in Life uh, do that. And then uh, I'm working on publishing a book of my photography that I've captured over the last seven years, uh, documenting animals in transport. So that I was I was having dinner with somebody during the pandemic and uh, they asked, what am I going to be doing now that because animals say L.A. Animal Safe had put a pause, obviously, on vigils. We couldn't have a gathering of 100 people during the pandemic. Uh, and I said, well, I was thinking of maybe selling some, you know, some of my photos and uh, this friend of mine looked at me and said, listen, I love your photography, but I can't have it on my wall. And I said, yeah, that makes sense. And he, he suggested a book. So that, that's what I'm doing. And then, uh, but also animal save movement is right now very uh, much pushing, pushing the plant-based treaty, uh, which was modeled after the, the green new deal, but instead of focusing on fossil fuels, which we do a little bit, uh, we it is basically trying to convince city and state governments and, and industries to move away or at least stop funding more animal based food systems and, and start funding plant based food systems so that we can reclaim farmland, replenish by replanting trees to restore the climate. That's perfect. The grandmothers have just started writing a letter this morning to Marianne Williamson. You know, she was one of my spiritual teachers many years ago. The first book I read when I was quite young was a return to love based on the course of miracles after I was a course of miracles student. And she, uh, Dr. Silas Rao met her at the parliament of world religions. And she said, well, you know, I'd like to kind of be vegan, but I don't know. It's kind of hard when I'm traveling. And so the grandmothers are writing a letter saying, you know, we, and we'll definitely want to get plant-based treaty and yeah, plant-based treaty involved. And, and we are saying to her, we will make sure you have vegan food in every one of your cities that you're going to be going to in the U S. So we'll see if she responds and commits because she can have a a huge impact in the public light. And that's the problem. I mean, it's not a judgment, just a thank you for your beautiful spiritual work and your care for humanity and poverty and making sure everyone gets fed. But yet, you know, we have enough food seven times over if we we stop growing food for animal agriculture. And so it's not a shortage of food, hoarding of resources. Yeah, if just the U.S. alone stopped, you know, 
farming animals, we get in world hunger more than seven times over worldwide. Does it that, like, and that's not without, that's not, that's even without adding like more farms for growing more. The amount of food we're growing right now is more than enough. You know, isn't crazy. Isn't that, isn't that in, and same with Canada, we have a huge amount of farmland. Yeah. That's going to feed the, feed the animals and animal agriculture. And yeah. Yeah. Dr. Gabriel Cousins, one of my mentors and teachers says it's definitely a hoarding of resources. It's not a lack of food. And I think it's really important when we're doing our spiritual work, such as Marianne Williamson saying that, you know, the, the most important thing is to feed people, to make sure people are fed and cared for. And so it's, it's very important when we're out in the public eye to, to talk truth that we do have plenty enough food. It's not a shortage. Yeah. So yes, yes. Well, this has been a real delight. Tell us how the grandmothers can support you in your projects. We would love to be part of different organizations. Susan Hargrave is one of the our grandmothers, and um, she one of our elders because we don't you don't have to be um, a, even a female or a mother a grandmother biologically to join the grandmothers because in a grandmother community there are. Um, there's the whole tribe and everyone is, is welcome. So anyone is available to join the grandmothers and support us. We would like to have a very large international presence at one point so that when the grandmothers walk out, just saying, we will not allow this feminine or feminine rights or feminine divines to be squashed in the care of our grandchildren of all species. And one day walk out around the world for the calves, you know, it's going to be hard to ignore us when, when there's, plenty of us uh, joining together. So thank you. And I just would love to end if you talked a little bit more about how you, how the grandmothers can help and how you feel we can start this deep movement throughout the vegan movement of understanding. I just, I'm really moved by that, that what we need to do is understand. It requires way more work than to judge. Yeah. It does. I think so when I started my, I'll say plant-based journey at first, uh, I was 300 pounds. I was type two diabetic had high cholesterol, high blood pressure, heart disease, you know, hypertension, all of those things, all the things that come with, uh, someone who eats a standard American diet in excess. Uh, and I was someone who was very fit in high school. This happened after college. Um, and I remember I had to change my mentality. Uh, every diet that I had had before that was about me hating how I looked or how I felt. Right. And so every action I took was a reminder of how much I hated myself or how much I hated how I felt or hated my life, whatever. And I had to change to looking at preparing a plant-based low fat vegan meal as an act of self-love and self-care. I had to change my, to not that I hate myself and hate how I feel, but I love myself. I'm gonna treat myself the way I should be treated. And I, and I love what I'm doing for myself and how I'm going to feel. And I saw that not only with just my diet, but in terms, like after I lost 40 pounds, I said, okay, I'm gonna go back to the gym. And I was so worried. I was so worried about what all the alphas, all the alpha male and females were going to, what I thought they were going to think, right? 
what I was going to be projecting onto them and, and like what my exercise was going to look like. Cause I know for me, I, th I thought it was going to be pathetic. Right. But it, it wasn't, but all I found was nothing but love and support, especially from the alphas who were like, every time I hit a milestone, we're like celebrating me and cheering me on. And, and I think this, this speaks to how much more we can accomplish if we choose a love-based approach instead of a hate or a shame-based approach, right? There's a reason you don't make fun of someone who's overweight at the gym. It's because you don't shame someone for trying. And when you create an environment that's safe, that feels safe and welcoming and loving, that 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 gives you that encourages you to keep doing it. I, I, I loved that space. At first I was scared to go there and then I found out what it was like. And I loved going to the gym because I loved how everybody made me feel and how they were encouraging me, you know? And I, I think that, that that is an approach that we, we need to take uh, in, in terms of how we, how we interact with people, how we connect with people, how we move through the world, right? We need to do it with love, compassion, and understanding more than, and I'm not telling you not to be angry. You know, I, I, when I say this, people think, what, you're not angry? Of course I'm angry. Listen, I, I've I've seen more than more than most people ever need to see, you know, in, in terms of being inside factory farms and slaughterhouses and all, all of that. And sure, if my response, if my motivation for what I'm doing became how much I hate everything I've seen, that's reasonable. I could understand that. But again, every action I take would be an affirmation or a reminder of how much I hate everything. Right. So instead I choose to be motivated by how much I love animals, how much I love the planet, how much I love that I can help people restore their health and happiness. They can find their authentic selves and again, change the way they move through the world through connection and purpose. Right. And when I do that, every action I take is an affirmation of love, which is inspiring, not exhausting. Because hate is hate is exhausting. Hate is a great motivator for short-term change. I won't deny that. But I in my at least I've never seen evidence of it creating lasting positive change. We can only do that with again, love, understanding, and compassion. And we all have it. We're all capable of it. It just requires a little bit more of us. It just asks a little bit more of us. That's all. And that is and that is the grandmother's, that is the grandmother's pledge this is the grandmother's mission is to love all of humanity back and in embodying you know a love-based approach to bringing people home to helping people remember their their innate wisdom so thank you i really appreciate that because what i hear you say is very much in line when with us writing grief mapping is that when we feel the felt sense shock, we have a choice at any point to live, to dwell in anger, or to move into compassion and empathy and understand what's going on in this whole picture that none of us, we were just following orders as well, Tuttle said, you know, when we, when we started eating flesh and that you needed space to grow and not shame yourself more because that's what was happening, you know? you no one was going to beat you up as much as you've already beat yourself up and so you didn't have room for more of that there was no space for more shame and the only thing that brought space into it was love yeah 
and, love and, and understanding is very expansive. That offers people the opportunity, whether it's food addiction or, or drug addiction or, or being sick or overweight or whatever it is, it allows people to understand, to, to examine the choices that they made and, and try to understand why these choices felt so good. You know, even though that they were wrong, what was it about these? What were they offering me? Uh, was it real or not? You know, uh, if you are overweight and depressed, your life is it's pretty small, right? And there's not a lot of source of pleasure and joy. Uh, and so food becomes a great source of pleasure and joy in your life. And then someone says, you need to give that up and adopt a plant-based diet because you're very, you know, you're, you're overweight and you have all these chronic illnesses. And so what that person hears, what I heard when someone said that to me was, I have to give up the biggest source of pleasure in my life on the gamble that they're right. Right. That's a scary place to be. And we have to have understanding for that and have understanding that 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 people might struggle with making that kind of, you know, basically changing their entire dietary and lifestyle habits. You know, maybe they don't go vegan overnight. Maybe you did. Great. So this person isn't if they're you know, we have to accept whatever their their level of effort is. And I always tell people, I don't need someone to be vegan right now. I need everyone to honestly, whatever honestly looks like to them, honestly be reducing their intake of animal products. If that's in 100% one day, awesome. If it's 10% today, great. What can we do to make it 11% tomorrow? That's it. Beautiful. I love your understanding and the building on what is possible. And that's what we're doing here. You know, there will yeah. be 11% vegans, you know, throughout the world very, very soon. And then we will build on that. And we will be 12 and 13 and we'll just keep increasing until we live in a vegan world. Thank you for the very compassionate, loving and understanding interview. I have, um, my, fear, my spirit feels quite upgraded just being in your presence. So thank you, Bobby, very much for your for your humble, beautiful presence. Thank you. And thank you for the work that you're doing.